Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Break the Cycle with me, your host, Joshua Smith. I hope everyone's having a wonderful Tuesday night. we got an awesome show, as per the usual for you. I'm just super stoked on this entire week of shows. It's it's just amazing to me that uh, any of these guys want to come on my podcast, first of all. But uh, I guess we're I guess we're growing pretty fast. Uh, so that's a good thing. Uh, let's talk about some sponsors. Of course, we've got Lorenzotti.coffee for all your delicious Italian coffee needs delivered directly to your door. Bring the taste of Italy home. Use BTC at checkout for a 10% discount. And, of course, my friend, my partner on the show, TopLobster.com, one of the greatest guys when it comes to graphic stuff. He hand draws everything. Check him out today. You can get this awesome custom uh, dark camo break the cycle sunset hoodie that I'm wearing today. Use BTC at checkout for a 10% discount or join the Patreon subscribe star or the YouTube memberships to get into the discord channel where you will get uh, the new designs up to two weeks prior to them going to general population and uh, you'll get them at like a 30% discount. Very, very deep discount. And of course, anthemplanning.com, executive producer of the show for all your emergency and crisis planning needs. Uh, find out what these people can do for you today uh, for your business, your home, or your personal life. They're doing a job that the government sucks at for a much cheaper price and much more efficiently. Guys, I hope everybody is uh, as excited as I am today. We have a real heavyweight on the show. Uh, seriously, he's a former adjunct uh, uh, professor or scholar from the Ludwig von Mises Institute. Uh, he is also the founder of the Central he, – he did, you did found it, right? The, uh, the uh, uh, Center for Study of Innovative Freedom. Yeah. Yes, I, I designed and put the website up. Perfect, perfect. Uh, he's also the uh, author of Against Intellectual Property that I'm sure everyone has read by now. He is Mr. Stefan Kinsella. How are you doing tonight, sir? I am doing well. I'm COVID free. So COVID free, huh? Yeah. Did you did you have did you get the COVIDs? Yeah, I got it in Porkfest. Oh, did you really? A lot of a lot <laughs> yeah, of people. Uh, did. Yeah, about ten about ten people as far as I as far as my count goes at this point. Well, I know Scott Horton got it and a few others, so I was uh yep. I, I was checking it out. But I, it seems like everybody got got healed up pretty good and nobody nobody got it too bad. So that's exciting. Yeah. But uh so what listen, from from uh LSU grad to uh founder, author, uh scholar. Oh, there he is. I, I had a feeling you might have a tiger's hat sitting <laughs> around somewhere. I had a feeling. I, I did, I really did. But how did you get here, man? How did you become how did you go from uh you know you, you initially went to school for electrical engineering, correct? I did, yeah. Yeah, and then and then lawyer and anarcho capitalist, staunch anarcho capitalist. How did how did you make that journey, man? Well, um, so on the education side, uh, you know, I just uh, wanted to major in something that I could get a job at and that I found interesting and, and challenging, which was electrical engineering because I like computers, <laughs> and um, LSU because it was the closest big school to where I came from. It didn't even occur to me to go somewhere else, and then law school because I started getting interested in politics and arguments and all that as I got into interest in economics and libertarianism. So I just thought law would be more challenging and uh, more verbal reasoning than all the math and stuff and engineering. And so I, I've loved being a lawyer. And I went into patent law because if you have an engineering background, you can you can do that as a lawyer. And it, it kind of is a really narrow specialty. Uh, so that's been fun. And you get to still do some technology. So it was a good blend. But on the side, my avocation, my sort of hobby has always been libertarianism ever since I was like in high school. So I kept studying it. And as, as I learned how to write 
as a lawyer, which is kind of like an academic type writing, you have to footnote and research things and write in a systematic way. Um, I kind of use that skill to write more scholarly type articles on libertarian topics. So those two fields sort of uh, grew together. Um, they're different, but they complemented each other in a couple ways. Number one, my career helped fund my, you know, I was on my own benefactor really, so it helped fund my libertarian traveling and and on all that kind of stuff. And uh, and also, I just think my, my knowledge of the law, and actually uh, going to LSU was just a coincidence, but Louisiana Law School teaches the Roman law more than other schools do because of Louisiana's unique situation. And the knowledge of the Roman law, in addition to the common law, has helped me as a sort of a legal scholar, as a libertarian, um, because I think I would not have known a lot of things about the law and legal systems. So they kind of dovetailed and they've complemented each other. And then, of course, knowing patent law helped give make me better at, at dissecting as a libertarian what's wrong with the patent and the copyright system. So they've, they've sort of twi intertwined together. Sure, absolutely. And you, it's funny, I had this conversation. I hopped on a friend's podcast last night after I did my show. Uh, it's the Tower Power Hour. If you guys haven't followed that, it is one of the craziest podcasts you will ever listen to. And we were actually talking about the uh, the laws in Louisiana and how it's like it's almost like a completely different legal system. They're still holding on to that like French common law uh, system, sort of in Louisiana. Correct? Yeah, it's the, it's the French Civil Code. It was uh, was based upon the French Civil Code that, that Napoleon had done in eighteen o four. And Louisiana had a similar version in 1808, um, and it also draws upon Spanish, the Spanish law, the Las Siete Partidas, we call it. Um, so Louisiana law is a mixture of Spanish and French in terms of substance, but the, the form was French. Um, so they they retained their civil law system. There was an effort by the United States to force them to to adopt the common law system in the in the early. Oh, I want to say early 1800s, and the citizens revolted and refused because they were used to the civil law terminology and and uh, and and some unique aspects of the system, like forced heirship, which is you can't disinherit your children. Your children have to inherit a certain portion of your estate, uh, which is a, a relic of the European way of doing things, um, which I actually don't completely disagree with as a libertarian. I think you can make some rough arguments for it. Um, anyway, so they held on to it, and it's so that's why Louisiana has parishes instead of uh, sure. instead of uh, instead of counties, just because of the French the French influence. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so you're really big on IP. I mean, you wrote a book about being against IP. Uh, you're you're a patent lawyer. You're obviously, I mean, probably one of the most anti-IP people, at least on the internet. Uh, and we get some probably in the world, to be honest. I, I pretty much know all the players at this point. There's no one who is as against it as I am in the world, I think. Well, and there's there's so many people who argue with you online, and you're constantly calling people out for debates, and no one's ever taken you up on it. Uh, they, they do sometimes, but I, I well, I offer to, to have a discussion with them to explain things because sometimes you just can't explain things in a choppy Twitter thing. I just started today. I started, a, people can go to my site, c4saf.org slash wrong about IP. I, I kind of got that idea from Tom Woods because he has wrong about whatever. And Mike Masnick at TechDirt has a page on Section 230 of the CDA. It's it's a it's a link to a, a long thing called uh, you're, 
hello, you were redirected here because you're wrong about Section 230. And then he has like all these topics about why you're wrong. So I'm going to start building it up because it'll just save me time. Uh, over time, it'll save me time because then I can just say, okay, go to Section 17. That's where that's why you're wrong about IP. Sure, sure. It's it's funny. So so I I have uh you know I ran for chair twice in the in the party. Um, lost once to Nicholas Sarwark by a large margin. Lost to uh, our our now disgraced former chair uh, Joe Bishop Henchman by a slim margin in 2020 and then uh and then i just had this little kind of interim run that i lost by another slim margin so i i'm the second best chair candidate for the last three years in a row uh but um i last year so during this time that i'm running for chair i had all these people attacking me all the time really badly attacking me just nasty shit all the time and you know i was always kind of like i'm running for chair so i gotta like learn how to talk to people correctly and not come at them all crazy and last year i decided i was no longer going to capitulate to any of these assholes and i was going to call them names and make fun of them and uh you know you kind of you kind of got an online presence like that too where you, you 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 really uh you're really brash and bold with people and it's it's funny and people laugh about it and you know yeah it's, it's kind of turned into a thing uh i've changed over the years too i mean in person as you can tell now and in person, everyone thinks I'm a sweetheart and I'm nice and I, I am. Um, and online uh, with people that are serious and sincere, I'm often blunt because you know time is short and and the format is short. So I just give an answer. And I figure also if, if, you, if, you, if you're going to run away sniveling and crying with a clear, blunt answer, then it's, it's a waste of time anyway. You might as well get to the point. But people that are not serious – um, you can tell right away because I've dealt with these thousands of these people. You know, they don't ask real questions. They'll they'll bark they'll bark rhetorical or loaded questions that you like. Like we were talking about before we started, like like this guy, like, oh yeah, well, how would you like it if I took your book and I published it with my name on it? I mean, they're 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 actually not real questions. They're not really asking you a sincere question. They're 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 assuming some kind of answer. Like they're assuming that everyone would re realize that that would be obviously absurd. So they're trying to like implicitly say that they've shown that you're a hypocrite or that you're 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 advocating for so they don't want to make a clear argument because then they would have to defend it so those kinds of people i just go right to the chase on and i figure 99.9 percent .9 of the time it's a waste of time with them um although on occasion i'll have someone come back to me two or three years later and they'll say oh i argued with you three years ago but now i see i was totally wrong that does happen on occasion but so i do it just for the people watching so they can see how pathetic the arguments of the statists and the socialists and the pro ip people are sure sure absolutely and and uh there there's just a lot of funny there's a lot of funny arguments when it comes to ip because there's just so many things encompassed in ip and uh ludwig von mises pieces which is the uh guy who made your shirt thank you for the two dollar uh the, the $2 super chat and then top lobster one upped them with the same question with a $3 super chat asking, should copy pasta be subject to copyright? So that's pretty funny. Uh, I don't, I don't know. Do you, do you think should it should copy pasta? Remind me what copy pasta so it's is. When, it's when somebody puts out like a long, like we, we like copy pasta. your I'm a heavyweight tweet, right? Like we took that and then spread it all over the place. The same tweet all over, you know, uh, that's, that's copy pasta. So you copy and paste it all over the place and, 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 as a, re a response to other people. So it's like stealing something that you said and making it your own argument. Uh, well, you know, um, there's two answers in the law and then in, in libertarian version uh, view of what the law should be. Of course, any copying, any copying should be legal. Um, there's, there's really nothing wrong with copying whatsoever. Even libertarians that say, well, it's fraud and this, it's not, it's not copyright violation, but it's fraud. Even that is wrong. Usually. Uh, I think we have to have a very, 
high threshold for what fraud is, and we have to define it carefully. Libertarians are too loose on that. They'll say, well, if you sell a book with your with your name on it that you didn't write, that's fraud. It's like, no, it's not. Um, not necessarily, and probably not. Very rarely would that be fraud. It's just lying and dishonesty. I mean, we have to be careful not to say that lying and dishonesty um, is something that would be illegal or a rights violation. Uh, in fact, most of most of the time, reputation would take care of that. People just look like idiots. You know, if I said I wrote, if I wrote the Bible, or if I wrote uh, Romeo and Juliet, everyone's going to say, "What? What the hell are you talking about?" You know, um, I wouldn't be defrauding them if I tried to sell the Bible online with my name on it as the author. Yeah. People, Any more than if I said, "Hey, I'm God." Okay. Yeah, people would um, probably laugh at you. They'd be like, "Excuse me." <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the answer is, and then the law, copy pasta. Probably it is copyright infringement in some cases. Everyone assumes that if it's not for profit, it's protected by fair use, but that's not how fair use works. That's just one of the four factors of fair use. Um, so it's it's not always clear that um, I mean, in fact. One of the factors is the extent of the work that was copied. So if you copy like one paragraph out of a big novel, that that weighs against that weighs in favor of fair use. But if it's just a short meme that you're copying, you're copying 100% of a short thing. So that weighs against fair use, which means it is is like copyright infringement. I mean, it's absurd, but that's the way the law works. Sure. sure. There was a study. Some law professor did a study about seven or eight years ago. John Tehranian. And he added up the liability every American has on average, the average American citizen for just their normal everyday activities that could be copyright infringement. And because of the astronomical statutory damages awards and willful infringement and all this kind of stuff, well, that's patent law. But anyway, the statutory damages for copyright, which is like $75,000 or $150,000 per infringing act. Okay, So every one of us is potentially liable for $4.5 billion per year in damages, every every American, the 350 million people. And that was seven, eight years ago, so it's probably you know, $500 million, billion now. So every two people is a trillion. I mean it's, the, the numbers don't make any sense. It, it's more than the solar system is worth, but that's how copyright law works. Sure, sure. So we're talking about the law here, but we're not talking about what you believe personally. So w give us your best case against intellectual property and, and why you're so anti-IP. Uh, the best case is that um, – so I'm a libertarian for principal reasons, like because I believe in – I'm against bullying basically, and I'm against people hitting each other right, and hurting each other, which is the kind of libertarian non-aggression idea. Um, basically, it's the Randian idea that – you have the right to do anything you want in life as long as you don't commit a rights violation against someone else, which means you don't you don't use their property without their permission, which is trespass, or use their body without their permission, which would be some type type of assault and battery. Um, so that that's the basic legal rule. And what that really means, if you think more about it, is that we believe in property rules that are assigned based upon a couple of simple principles. One is um, uh, everyone owns their own body, and number two, for other things in the world, we can find out who the owner of a thing is by asking who had it first, and did you get it by contract from a previous owner? So that's it, contract, first use, and self-ownership of your body. So those are the basic rules that determine who owns a resource, and intellectual property laws basically take those property rights away, and they give it to someone else. So – in the in the in the law, there's something called a negative easement or a negative servitude, which is when you sign a contract with like a neighbor and you give them a partial property right in your home, 
they can't use it, but they can prevent you from using it in a certain way. So that's where restrictive covenants in neighborhoods are. So like you can, you can, you can prevent, you can, you can tie your hands and prevent your yourself from using your property in a certain way, and your neighbors can do the same. So then you all know that your neighborhood can't be used for certain purposes. That's perfectly fine if it's consented to. Just like a, a girl who gets kissed, it, it, if she consents to it, it's fine. But if you if you kiss a girl without her consent, it's a, it's battery, right? Uh, it's a trespass, and the same what, what patent law does and copyright law it it grants these negative easements to third to other people, even though the owner of what's called the burdened estate never consented to it. So it takes their property rights away. So for example, a patent holder can prevent me from using my factory, which I own, and my body, which I own, and my resources like my raw materials to make an object like an iPhone or a mousetrap or an airplane. Or a carburetor, you know, or something, something that's patented. So it gives this other person this negative easement or this veto right over my own property, but I never gave it to him by contract. So it's a taking of my property. So the fundamental problem with IP law is that it 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 undermines the three basic principles that underpin all of libertarianism and all of private law and all of justice in the Western world uh, for thousands of years. It, it basically lets other people have a say so in how your property can be used. That's the problem with it. Now, once you identify an act of aggression, which this is, then you can start talking about the the consequences of it or the damages. It does do lots of damage. In the case of copyright, it censors free speech and distorts culture, and it gives the government um, the, the government gives the other people um, the right to websites and things like that. So it threatens speech, free speech on the internet, and the internet's a big tool against the state, so you don't want to threaten that. And patents impede innovation, which which impoverish the whole human race because the way we get richer over over time is not by finding more raw materials because the earth is finite, but it's by improving our recipes and our technological knowledge every generation, and we can use more and more of that that the human race develops. So anything that prevents you from using that knowledge or prevents you from spreading it or prevents you from developing it, right? Or slows it down, basically kills human beings by making us poorer than we would be. That's that's the ultimate cost of the patent system. It's hor- it's horrendous, I believe. I think it's 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 genocidal almost. Sure, sure. Shout out to Rich Clark for uh, for dropping the exact same super chat with an extra dollar. Uh, thank you, I appreciate it. Can, let's talk about. So so I talk about the only time I ever really personally talk about patent law is when I talk about the the big pharma right and 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 pharmacology and 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 uh and the medical industry in general how has how have these patent laws really destroyed the uh the medical industry oh well so there's a there's sort of an unholy alliance between different aspects of of our modern society all the result of government interventions and they they play they in they uh they link together uh patent laws one the fda is another the tort system is another um, and also the control the government has over the whole medical healthcare system where we have prescriptions for drugs. And so you have doctors who recommend things that just to avoid tort liability, right? And then they have to recommend uh, prescription drugs instead of homeopathic remedies because that's what is approved and what insurance companies pay for because of the perverse incentives of the insurance system, right? Uh, the, the the healthcare system, but like, I mean, it all links together. And then the FDA imposes all these costs on the drug manufacturers, which they then need to recoup by 
having a monopoly, which is what the patent system is. So <laughs> innovation is slowed down, and we, we doctors end up recommending a lot more of these artificial drugs than I think that they would in a free market system. So you'd have you'd have more resort to natural remedies, less resort to artificial things, and the prices would of everything would be so much cheaper. Um, but it's all, it's all just ruined by this by this whole system. Uh, then you have. Uh, I mean, there's a. You probably would like this. Uh, I think you're. You, uh, I, I mean, uh, uh, on the COVID issue, there's a there's an hour long video by a guy who's extremely knowledgeable. His name is Dr. David David Martin. I'll send you the link. Okay. Um, he's extremely knowledgeable about the science of c coronavirus and SARS and even HIV and stuff like that, and also the patent system and. I couldn't quite follow all of his talk because um, he doesn't tie it all together, and he assumes some basic knowledge of the history of the coronavirus stuff. But it looks like the coronavirus that the vaccine allegedly protects now was known almost in the last 20, 10, 20 years um, in, in many patents that have been – that are already described. So there's something funny going on there with the, with the way that the patent system – uh, interlinks with the profit motive of the pharma companies and then getting the government to require it and um, um, and recommend it and approve it. So the patent system is just part of <laughs> of the government's meddling with human life in the healthcare area. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I got another super chat from 1983 Bantam. Uh, I think I know who this is. Thanks for the $2 super chat. He said, ask Kinsella if Vax makes you magnetic. Uh, they're making fun of me because I, I I watched a I, <laughs> I watched this yeah I watched this forty seven minute video of people sticking magnets to their uh, to their vac site and uh, I posted it and I was like hey this is pretty crazy everyone's calling this a big coordinated scam it's happening all over the world and some people gave me shit for it I never someone even tried huh? someone tried to bribe me to ask you that question um... <laughs> oh I bet I bet I know who it is so the the guy that always fucks with me on online about it uh, is actually somebody who's he's got to be really close to the, the Mises Institute because. Uh, they they have they one time to prove that they weren't like a fakertarian person they like took a picture of their book collection and it was like all these great Mises uh, Institute books and they all had like autographs in them and and like shout out notes and stuff so it's somebody it's got to be somebody close to you guys I'm sure but I never said that I believed it I never <laughs> well, said that I believed I don't know some people some people say some people say I have a magnetic personality but I don't know if that's because of... <laughs> online <laughs> by the way sure. I said. I said I had COVID. I don't know if I had COVID. You know, all I know is the test said yes. Right. <laughs> I, I still don't know if I had it or not. Uh, but yeah. and you I, may never, I had you something. May never. You may never, because the PCR test has been so. Uh, it's had so many issues. Who knows what's what at this point? And that's the problem. Really, that's been the biggest problem with COVID is that none of us really know what the hell's going on, man. You know what I mean? It's just so. Everything's been so washed by the government narrative and then the media narrative and then the, the politicizing of, uh, of it on both sides. It's like you, don't, you just don't even know what to believe anymore. You know what I mean? Well, and on the patent thing, so you'll hear the, – so the government is so incoherent about this whole thing, right? So uh, it's sort of like the, IP, the China IP theft thing. You, have, you hear Biden and Trump and all these guys always saying, oh, China's stealing our IP. They never explain what they're talking about. China is literally not stealing our IP because – IP is a domestic law. Like it's literally impossible for China to violate U.S. IP law. Whatever they do in their own country is totally within their rights under international law and under the law. And they do have a patent and copyright system, so they're not violating our IP. Um, so they don't know what they're talking about. And on the on the on the coronavirus thing, 
So now they're saying like, oh, the U.S. should should um, should waive the patent rights of the big pharma companies. So the whole thing is weird because all these people are in favor of patents, and now they want to waive them. Although the, it's not clear what they mean. They're not explaining what they mean by waiving them. The government doesn't have the right to waive them. The government has the right to issue a compulsory license because the government issues these monopolies, so the government maintains the right to basically pull them back. They have the statutory right to do so, and they can pay. They can pay compensation if they do that. They threatened to do that with the with the anthrax thing about 15 years ago when there wasn't enough of the Cipro going around because someone had a patent on it. And they threatened to, to bust their patent by issuing a compulsory license. So the government could just do that right now if they wanted to. But what's weird is, I mean, when when did the vaccine start? According to the conventional story, about a year ago, a year and a half ago, they started working on a vaccine. I don't even think it was a year and a half ago. It's been. Okay, so they got a vaccine out in a year, basically. <clears throat> Patents, as far as I know, usually take at least one, two, three years from when you file it before the issue as a patent. So everyone's talking about hundreds of patents, but how can there be hundreds of patents on coronavirus if they just started getting the vaccine, what, six months ago? So they couldn't have filed patents until six months ago when they finally had a vaccine that was working. So I don't know what patents there would be out already anyway. I've, I've never seen anyone point to one. So I don't know what they're – I don't think they know what they're talking about either. Sure. Well, let's, and let's talk about some of these orphan these – the orphan. Oh, it's, it's sort of like inflation. So the, the government complains about inflation, but of course they cause inflation, right? Remember during Carter, they had these buttons, whip inflation now, when? They're saying we need to fight inflation you know, that we're causing. So the government's complaining about patents that they grant. It makes no sense. Sure. I, I, wanted, to, I wanted to just bring up uh, the pharma douche um, – uh, uh, Martin Shkreli, who I think might still be in jail, but uh, so I don't think people understand that you know these patents will run out right eventually, and right. and then some of these drugs become what's called orphaned, and someone can pick it up and get like an extended patent, right? Well, it's complicated. I think what happened in the Martin Shkreli case, if I recall, uh, everyone talked about it as, as a patent problem, but I think it was already the patent had already expired. But what they can do is they can get the FDA. So what usually happens is uh, the FDA gives you approval. Then you can be the exclusive seller of it under an FDA grant because you have a patent now. You can stop people from making their own. But once the patent runs out, they still your competitors can't make it until they get FDA approval, which is what generics are. But sometimes the FDA will refuse to grant the generics for a while to give you an extra monopoly period. Time for some kind of reason. So it's sort of like an artificial patent type right that the FDA can grant. And I think that's what this um, this was an epi some kind of epipen or something. I don't no, can't remember what it was. For 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 Martin Shkreli, it was uh it was God, it was a, a pill that like ten thousand people in the country were using. It was very I think it had something to do with helping for uh, some kind of viral pneumonia due to HIV yeah. or something. Yeah. Yeah. So. so I think he had he had a quasi monopoly on it because of the FDA system, not because of the patent system. I think, and um, so he just he started charging monopoly prices. Which, hey, is you can do that if you have a monopoly that the government gives you. <laughs> so everyone's complaining about what he did, but he did what would be natural to do if the government gives you a monopoly. You well, take advantage. Of it. Well, it was the le- the left came out and just like totally villainized him. But if you actually look back at the whole situation. I think he was trying to prove how messed up the system was because he literally came out and said, if you can't, <clears throat> if you can't afford this drug, then uh, we'll give it to you for free. 
but I'm going to charge the insurance companies all this money and show you how the, how the, how this system really works. So I, I think, you know, he got villainized, but I think he was really trying to prove something, you know, they have, I don't, I don't remember. I think he went to prison for something unrelated. Completely. Though, it was some securities or something, some, you know, some <laughs> kind of crazy shit that rich people always do. I don't know. Uh, so what are, are you familiar with like open source like software the the free open source software yeah. movement yeah is, is yeah. it is it possible to like use that as a strategy to like promote this anti-ip thing do you think not re- well only in that you can it, it serves as an example um uh which is a counter example to the utilitarian or empirical argument some people make for copyright um they'll say that um uh, you can't make money without copyright so the business model wouldn't work and so then you could say well the, uh, i think the majority of software now is open source so it's not done under the copyright monopoly and yet it's still thriving so you can use it as sort of a counter example to the stupid argument that you need copyright to make a profit off of written works including software um the, the i don't like i mean if without copyright there would not the, all, all software would be open because there would be no copyright you, so the problem with the open source movement is that they rely on what's called like a copy left type license, which is it's like they, they rely upon the license of the so, uh, the copyright on the software that allows them to prevent other people from using it, and they condition their license, their permission on people adopting a similar license. So they're saying you can use this, but only if you grant similar restrictions on everyone else so that my little copy left idea filters down the line like that. Um uh, that's sort of like CC uh, uh, on the on the Creative Commons. See uh, CC um, SA share alike. That's like CC share alike. Uh, I prefer to just use to open as much as possible without conditions, which would be CCBY, which means you only have to give credit, or even better CC zero, just make it public source. Um, but so I, I and most of the most of the open source people. They're skeptical of the abuses of copyright, but most of them are not really copyright abolitionists. Sure, sure. Uh, so I got I got a couple more super chats. Rich Clark dropped another one. He said, "How do you feel about the right to repair? Do you think right to repair is a good way to red pill people?" I mean, this is another issue where it's an issue of what Mises called um, um, it's an example of interventionism. Controls breed controls, he said. So what happens is. Uh, well, it's sort of like pe- people say the FDA screws up the drug approval process, so you need patents to give companies um, a monopoly so they can recoup the costs that are artificially high because of the FDA system. So one government program requires another. And in this case, the copyright system is what allows manufacturers of 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 products, high-tech products like tractors, anything with software in it now, right, tractors or, or iPhones – it allows them to basically prevent people from re- having it repaired by third-party unauthorized repair people because it would be it would it would be a copyright infringement. So they they get to and, and if you didn't have copyright, the only way that a manufacturer, let's say like Apple, wanted to do that with their iPhones, the only way they could do that is they, if they made the the buyer sign a contract saying I promise not to repair this myself or have anyone repair it except for Apple. So you you find a customer willing to give you nine hundred bucks for a phone, and you're asking them to sign something, imposing liability on them for fixing the thing that they just bought. That would be pretty. Uh, um, pretty unpopular with customers, I believe. It would cost Apple money to do that 
because you know they'd have to they'd have to lower their price to make the phone worth it. So they would lose they would lose out on profits. So I don't think these business models would, would work without copyright. So what happens now is because copyright law leads to companies preventing consumers from doing what naturally they would have a right to do, instead of abolishing the source of the problem, which is copyright, they want to give consumers this this right to repair. And if it only restricted the copyright of the holder, I would be in favor of it. It'd be a way of restricting copyright. But as far as I understand it, these right to repair laws, they want to force the manufacturers to reveal source code and and design information on the products they sell to these third party repair shops or to the customers. So because they caused the a problem, they want to they want to they want to violate the rights, the property rights of the manufacturers with these right to repair laws. So I don't favor the right to repair laws completely because part of it is unjust, like forcing a manufacturer to reveal the information um, publicly. But on the other hand, if they didn't have a, if they weren't enforcing their rights with with IP patent or copyright, then consumers would probably have the ability to get them repaired by third parties anyway. Sure, sure. Uh, I just got to give a huge shout out. I, ca- I, I, I don't always catch all the all the chats because some of them are small. The super chats are always bigger. I can see them pretty well. Uh, but my friend Katie's Rising, who is in a lot of the shows, good friend of mine uh, from from Twitter, just stated that he's uh, sitting in the labor and delivery room with his wife, watching break the cycle. This baby's going to come out of Freedom Fighter. Thank you, dude. That's so cool. Tell your wife uh, I said hello and. Uh, Congratulations! I hope everything goes smooth. As you know, we just had two in this house in the last couple months, so it's been uh, it's been a little wild for us. Um, Almighty Beach, thanks for the the super chat. He said he mostly uses open source software, especially Linux. In fact, he prefers open source software, and I know he's a big time computer guy. So, um, what was the other question I wanted to talk to? Oh, uh, let's see. Oh, you know, my friend from Twitter, Dent in the world, who uh, actually helped me set up my new microphone that Mister Tom Wood sent me. What a sweetheart! Uh, he, I think he's trying to pull a joke on me, but he wants he wants me to ask you, uh, what do you think about IP freely? <laughs> 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 Pretty sure that was a joke, but you know there is an actual author named IP Freely on uh, on online that's like a clown comedian uh, and author. So I, I you know I figured maybe he was either playing a joke on me or you knew about the author. I don't know. Uh, no, I've just heard the joke before, but no, I've never heard of the author. I figured, I figured, uh, I I figured I'd ask it anyways. Um, so let's see. I have. Uh, oh, you know what? Let's let's delve into this this um, this post libertarian stuff for a minute because I know you're a you're a big Rothbard, Hoppe, Mises libertarian. So the the NAP or the non aggression axiom or whatever you want to call it, that's a central tenet uh, to what you believe. Correct. Um, I think that yes, but the non-aggression principle for me is just a shorthand for a set of property rules. But yes, sure, sure. So this post-libertarianism thing that's kind of popping up now, and I've had a bunch of people on. I've talked about it with a bunch of people on other shows and stuff, and um, it's really kind of started coming out of like the Pete Quinones uh, side of the movement and stuff, where they're they're kind of abandoning that that nap thing, right? And uh, you know, still keeping a lot of the, we still want the property rights. We still want all this stuff, but uh, we have you know, eighty percent of the people in this country um, don't they don't want freedom, 
they don't want to be free. They don't want liberty. They want to continue to use the government to force their will or to make them feel safe. So they're kind of moving on from this, well, we're not going to aggress on you and starting to take this more like aggressive stance. I don't know. Have you, have you listened to any of the, uh, the shows about this stuff at all? I don't think so. It's not really ringing a bell. Um, I mean, I've, I've known for quite a long time that most people are not libertarians. Sure. <laughs> I don't know what kind of revolutionary insight that's supposed to be. Sure. sure. Um, I, I'm aware of some people that uh, don't like the, in, the non-aggression principle, but basically to my mind, look, there's a big diversity in our movement, and mine is uh, libertarian theory. That's what I like. Um uh, it's not about strategy. It's not about activism. It's not about thickism. Um, if you want to blend it with other things and be a thicker, that's fine. If you want to be an activist, that's another thing. If you want to have different tactics and strategy, if you want to be an incrementalist, if you want to be, um, you know, move to Puerto Rico, that's fine. If you want to move to, to New Hampshire, uh, but most of the people that are hostile to the non-aggression principle, um, they say that they just think it's bad messaging, but I think they really say it because they don't like how it constrains some things they want to do, right? Just like status, status and non-libertarians don't like our non-aggression principle because while most people oppose aggression most of the time, right? They're in favor of laws against murder. They're not against aggression all the time. That's what libertarians are. We're consistent. We're principled. We believe we're against aggression, period, all the time. Um, so, so if you want some aggression to be permitted, you're going to rebel. You're going to oppose the non-aggression principle. So you want the state to exist. You want it to be able to tax. You want it to be able to have an army and government roads and government schools and a welfare system and police and courts all funded by the state. And you want to be able to put people in jail for evading the draft or for not paying their taxes or for, for smoking marijuana. Then you need to have some exceptions to the non-aggression principle. So when, whenever someone is opposed to the non-aggression principle, I just want to ask, listen, are you opposed to aggression or not? Because if you are, then I don't care what terminology you use, but you agree with the non-aggression principle. But if you if you are in favor of aggression, then that's why you're opposed to the non-aggression principle because you, you're basically a criminal or you're an advocate of criminality or you're a statist. So which one is it? So I always want to cut to the chase and find out what – what is it just a strategy or tactic or a word for you? Or do you really favor aggression? And then they'll they'll do this stupid thing. They'll say, uh, "Well, everyone believes in aggression because we need to enforce laws." So then they do this. That's an equivocation, right? They're trying to say that force is aggression. Of course, force is not aggression. We libertarians don't oppose force. So they're saying that if you have any law whatsoever, or if you defend your rights, then you're committing aggression. So they're trying to cheat. They're trying to say that well, we libertarians believe in force, which we do, but we don't believe in Initiated, initiated force, right? Only defensive force. Um, so those libertarians or those people I don't think are libertarians because they really want to find room for some deviations from libertarianism, whether that's left libertarians, right, who want um, – or mutualist types who want workers to be able to or, – or tenants of, 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 um, of, of buildings or, or workers in factories to be able to take over the ownership of those things, basically stealing it from the landlord or from the, from the remote distant owner, absentee owner, um, which is theft or an, an aggression, um, or whether they're just full-blooded status. So um, 
I don't know. You tell me if I'm missing something. What, what is post-libertarianism? Maybe. I, well, I, I actually have somebody in the uh, in the chat nap time saying post-libertarians recognize the nap. They just believe you have a right to defend yourself and should right now, uh, I'm guessing, from the government. So we'll get into that. Uh, but but yeah, I mean, that's a good that's also a good question. How I mean, how far should we let the government push us uh, before we kind of step out of this? Let's just be peaceful and sing Kumbaya stuff, I guess. Yeah, and to me, that's a strategic uh, or maybe even a practical um, uh, moral or practical issue, which I don't claim any special expertise on. Um, you have to decide what you what you willing to put up with in your life. You know, Erwin Schiff died or went to prison for income tax evasion. He was not in the wrong, but was it prudent for him to do that? And did it do any good? Um, I think sometimes you have to stand up, but I guess it's a, it's a question of strategy. I don't think we're going to defeat the state and achieve a significantly higher degree of liberty by isolated acts of protest or violence against state actors, even though it might be theoretically just in some cases to use force against any government actor who's basically using aggression against you by enforcing state laws. Um, I don't think that's a way to achieve liberty. Um, it might be satisfying in some cases, but I think liberty liberty comes out of, uh, about from in different ways. Sure, sure. Uh, Rich Clark, thanks for the super chat. He said, biggest super chat gets the name Cadus uh, uh, Baby. So uh, I, I don't think that that's true, but, you know, maybe maybe so. Uh, l- let's talk a little bit about Hoppe, man. I got a, a guy who wants to know your views uh, on Hoppe's resurgent popularity. So we all know that, you know, Hoppe has kind of gr- – gained this huge popularity over the, the last, I don't know, five or six years at least, or maybe more. What are, what are your views on that? Are, is that pretty cool for you? Is... Um, the, the sort of memification of Hans is kind of funny. I'm not sure why it happened. Uh, I guess it's hard to explain why these memes happen. Um, I can't explain it. I don't think Hans understands it himself. I think I know he, I know he finds it amusing. Um I never, I, I didn't even quite understand. There was one, some, some, some guy wrote a hit piece on him recently in one of these lefty, lefty uh, rags, um, because of this. Um, is it a snake? I think it was a, it was one of these kind of alt right snakes, the snake meme. Uh, I've seen the Peppy the Frog meme and the oh, frog sure. meme. Yeah. And uh, the helicopter memes are kind of funny, um, but uh, you know, people, people blending Hoppe's physical removal stuff. I don't know. I think people, some people just find Hans's whole personality to be uh, uh, interesting, intriguing for some reason. Yeah, I, it's it's kind of been funny to me. Like, so I never, I didn't read a lot of a lot of Hoppe um, until recently, um, and then I got into the democracy, and uh, you know, it was like it was like I had so many people like, oh yeah, he's he's this, he's a Nazi, he's this, and then I just can't I can't find it. Um, yeah, yeah. You, you know, I don't. It's not that I've always agreed with every single thing that Hoppe has said, but I, like you know, ninety nine percent of it, it's pretty pretty dead on. Um, and one of my favorite things uh, from from Hoppe, and I understand is probably one of yours too, is the the argumentation uh, uh, ethics, right? Yeah. So, so that's that's the first thing I read by him in in nineteen eighty eight in law school, and he wrote he there was a symposium in Liberty Magazine where he came out with that, and that in that intrigued and fascinated me and blew my mind, and I still love it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, can you can you talk a little bit about that and what it was that drew you to that and stuff? Um, it's I don't know if it's a coincidence or not, but I had just I had just learned about 
something in contract law in, in, in law school called estoppel, which is this idea of natural justice sort of in equity law where you're not you're not permitted to make a claim in a legal in a legal context if that if that claim is inconsistent with with behavior you manifested earlier because you'd be able to have it both ways. So if you acted like something was true, then you can't claim it was not true later. Um, so that idea was in my mind when I read his argumentation ethics, and it just struck me, ah, this makes so much sense. It was basically an argument that um, I think it's, 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 it's misunderstood and mischaracterized, but the argument is basically that the libertarian idea, the non-aggression principle, self-ownership, um, natural rights to property – this basic idea is implicit in the very nature of civilized, peaceful human inter interaction, right? Because it's all based upon peace. Like if you have peace as your basic norm or your basic value, like if you want to have a way for human beings to cooperate and live in peace among each other, you're going to seek a type of rule that defines who owns what so that we can do that, so we don't have conflict with each other. So that's what property rules are. Property rules are the response to the problem of conflict given the desire for people to avoid that and to have peace. Um, so his point was simply recognizing that, that like in in any human interaction where we're civilized and peaceful, we're presupposing the value of peace. We all are. So how can you make an argument for a system which violates peace and which, which causes conflict? So he tried to make it more formal in his argument by saying that any justification for any socialist ethic, which is any ethic that's not the libertarian ethic, right? He defines socialism broadly to be any institutionalized interference with private property claims, um, not just centralized ownership of the means of production, but in general, it's the institutional interference with private property rights. Uh, any argument for that would be arguing uh, um, against peace while you're in an argument where you're presuming the value of peace. So there's a contradiction. So all he's really doing is pointing out that uh, the only ethic any set of peaceful human beings that are engaged in, in civilized discourse could ever argue is something that's compatible with that peaceful you know, um, context of the argument itself, and that's libertarianism. So only libertarianism is consistent with that because we favor rules that permit peace to be possible by having property rules that are natural and just and fair that we can all respect, and we could live in peace together if we all respected those rights, whereas any other ethic – Causes conflict and, and is basically aggression and is not argument. It's the use of force and the use of might, not the use of right. So that just intrigued me, and so I started writing on it. I wrote my own theory, which is based on the estoppel idea, which is sort of a cousin of his idea, and that's how Hans and I became friends. When I wrote him, um, <coughs> excuse me. When I wrote him, um, I sent him an article, a copy of an article I'd written for a law review, which is a long, positive book review essay of his book, which. Which has that, um, but I was intrigued by a lot of his other earlier arguments too. His economics ideas, his political insights. This is way before his democracy stuff. Um, his two two chief books before that was um, a theory of socialism and capitalism, and then the sequel, um, the economics and ethics of private property. Those are just full of so many great insights about the nature of property, um, and, and of course he criticizes. Nazi Germany in in the book explicitly he wasn't he wasn't a fan of fascism. Shocking. Well, and yeah. and a lot of people kind of hold this like uh, this this weird you know view about him being a big time monarchist and all this stuff and 
Do you know? Do you know why that's always coming up when it, when we talk about uh, Hans Hermann Hoppe? Well, I think it's a couple of things. Uh, there's some people just want to smear him, and so they they'll just say whatever they can to smear him. Um, he's explicitly said he's not a monarchist. He's not in favor of monarchy. He thinks monarchy would be a violation of rights because it's not anarchist. Uh, anarchy is the ideal system. All he points out is that monarchy, the, the conventional idea that uh, this Whig theory of history, which even Rothbard and Mises and some of these guys seem to share, was that although democracy, modern Western liberal democracy, is not perfect, it's further down the road. It's closer towards our ideal system, so that when we move from the ancient world, from the from the ancient regime of monarchies after World War One, and towards a more democratic world, that was progress. Everyone thinks that was progress. Um, and this is sort of in line with the libertarian idea that the uh, – where we have a rosy view of the founding fathers and the declaration and the constitution and all this stuff. We kind of treat that like it was um, proto-libertarian. You know, Libertarian Party has the freaking Liberty Bell and you know, the, the, the torch and the Statue of Liberty all everywhere and the constitutions everywhere and the US flag as if all this stuff was libertarian. You know, hey, just just like Hans didn't like the Nazis in Germany, I don't like our founding fathers either. Uh, <laughs> it's not libertarian. Um, so the, the point is Hans said that, look, when you move from monarchy to democracy, it wasn't completely unalloyed progress. And in fact, it was in some ways retrogression because democracy is worse than monarchy in many respects because the incentive that the rulers face is short term. Um, you know, It turns into a welfare state, whereas a monarch as kind of a idealized private owner of the whole country has incentives in place to – have controls over uh, the quality of people coming to the country, immigrants, and uh, not to tax too much because you don't want to cause a civil <laughs> civil war or revolution, um, and you don't want to uh, you know you want the country to be prosperous, so you leave you leave. So anyway, his point was simply a relative one that monarchy is better than democracy in many respects, and so we shouldn't we shouldn't we shouldn't turn a blind eye towards the problems of democracy and think of it as as a step down the road towards towards a libertarian paradise democracy is full of problems and is not anything like the ideal solution unlike say francis fukuyama's idea that we've reached the end of history sure. um, with this kind of quasi ideal state which is sort of the neoliberal even neoconservative view of things now Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and in a lot of respects, I mean, anybody who actually pays attention would know that there was some benefits to monarchy for sure. Uh, and that democracy is just an ugly, terrible uh, God that failed. Right. <laughs> absolutely. I mean, um, look at Liechtenstein or countries or Switzerland. Oh, Switzerland's not a monarchy anymore, I don't think. But um, countries like that, they tend to be smaller in territory, number one. Um um, you know, you know who the enemy is. If you have a bad, and Hans points out that you know, at least with monarchy, sometimes you can have a good monarch. Sure. Like maybe sometimes they'll be evil and horrible, but in that case, they can be killed. You know who to kill, right? But sometimes you have a good monarch, but you never have good leaders in a democracy. But the system works. The worst rise on top, as Hayek pointed out. So you you never have that. He he tells a story of a friend of his. I think it's not apocryphal. I think it's true. One of his friends was. Um, um, at an ATM late at night in some city, and some guy walked up to him and robbed him, right? And then the it was like three in the morning, and the guy the guy told the robber because you took all my money. I I I was gonna take a cab home. So the robber 
gave him $20 back. <laughs> so at least sometimes you might have a robber who's even kind of nice, you know, a little bit. Uh, but you never have d- democracies and democratic leaders who are good. Sure, sure, absolutely. Well, and when you got, you know, 51% of the population voting against 49% and you got to go along with their bullshit, it's uh yeah, it can get it can get a little a little hard. Uh, for sure. Uh, Almighty Beach says, who was the toughest person Stefan has debated against and why? There, there are a couple, um, on IP, never anyone yet. Um, there are a couple of people that I could debate on IP that, that would have some, somewhat of a challenge. Um, but most of them wouldn't debate. Um, I don't know. Um, I guess, um, <laughs> well, Jan Helfeld on Minarchy versus Anarchy, you know, he, Jan's that old 70s relic, 80s relic leftover, Randy and Libertarian, um, who is good when he annoys status like Nancy Pelosi and people like that by pestering them with repeated monomaniacal questions. But when he does it to us, he's doing it from Minarchy point of view. So he's like, uh, Something like uh, when you – if you're alone in the desert, if you're in the desert with someone else and there's one bottle of water and you, you it's not enough for both of you, what would you do? You know. So he posted these questions like these, these lifeboat questions where basically there's tragedy. There's no, there's no good solution, and that's supposed to be some kind of argument that we need a government. I don't know how government's supposed to stop tragedy from happening because uh, lots of governments fail to, to do that too. Or they um, create tragedy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess I can't think of any good debates I've had um, with anyone I felt that stumped by. Wow, we gotta get you. We gotta get you in some better debates, Stefan. Yeah, I usually hate debate formats because they're so stilted and boring. I'd prefer to have a free for all. Like, but most most other people don't want that. They want this boring debate format. Um, but hey, I'm open to anything. Yeah, it's always it's always about the Oxford debates now everybody likes those i mean even even dave smith enjoys the oxford debates these days i'm like come on man you're a stand-up comedian i I guess i would say that i've had several um challenging discussions with people they weren't quite debates and probably the most challenging ones i've had have been people questioning me on argumentation ethics like i think steve patterson we had one and there are some difficult questions in argumentation ethics that are hard to answer in a in a short format. I'd say my worst performance was probably when I was on the Stossel show um, on IP because I only had like three minutes, and he just started out with this like, how am I supposed to make money on my show if people can rip off my show? And to unpack the, the assumptions there would take an hour. you know. So I didn't really have a canned – answer ready that was satisfying um i could have just said suck it up you might you might your show might not make it yeah. i could have said that but that wouldn't have gone over well well and you, you could have just you could have just answered with listen john nobody can do that mustache besides tom Selleck, anyways buddy you're gonna be all right <laughs> yeah uh, i could have dodged humor. yeah yeah you know he's he, he likes to do that he gets i like john but he gets a little you know it's kind of funny uh, and he does that to just about. He does that to libertarians all the time. Uh, Top Lobster, who's the man who does all the art for the show, he's wonderful. He says, uh, "Is ridicule the best way to discourage theft of, let's say, artwork?" Because someone uh, he makes a lot of really good shirts. He hand draws everything. And there's been a guy who's been like stealing his designs and then putting them on his website and using his designs. So, uh, is ridicule the best way to deal with that man? What do you think? 
Well, I would never call it stealing. Sure. It's, it's, it's copying. So you're saying what's the best way to keep people from copying information that you put out in the public? So I don't know if there's a good way to stop people. from. If you make something public, you, it's like you tell people information. What's the best way to keep them from learning what you told them? <laughs> I guess not to tell them in the first place. Keep it secret. Um, but I think if people are copying your stuff and not giving you credit – or they're sort of hiding the fact that they copied it from someone, or they're pretending that they're the author. Um, I think, yeah, ridicule could work. They're going to have a bad reputation. Just point it out. Point it out that this guy is lying. I suspect that that's not what's going on, though. I suspect what he's talking about is people that are just using his designs without his permission. They're probably not pretending that they did. They did it, though. I don't know. Maybe he can explain. And in that case, if they're just using it without his permission. Uh, I don't know if there's anything wrong with that, so I don't know if ridicule would work. Um, it might work now because most people believe that copying is stealing, so they're ripping something off. But I don't think that that's correct, and I think in a copyright-free world, people would not – there would be no stigma attached whatsoever to copying any public information and reusing it and competing with the original guy. There would only be stigma involved in dishonesty, like pretending you're the original author. Sure. Uh, Rodrigo Neves, this is one of my Brazilian uh, followers. I, I, got, I got a lot of really cool Brazilian followers on Twitter, and and it, I appreciate you guys a lot. I just want to tell you, uh, he said he said Stefan talk about the Brazilian bucket challenge. Josh Brazil had the biggest liberty movement in the world. Stefan knows all about it. Peace. Uh, so you did this buckethead challenge for Brazil. Yeah, these Brazilian guys, um, and there do seem to be be a lot of them out there and they're all great they've translated a lot of my works they had me down to brazil for a, a conference i was invited to other times but i i couldn't go um and they asked me mr Gonzalo, would you please put a bucket on your head and i thought they were i thought maybe the spanish or the portuguese wasn't being translated right and they meant something else and they said no i want you to put a bucket on your head i'm like a real bucket <laughs> like a plastic mop bucket <laughs> yeah and i was like why i was a little suspicious it was some kind of neo-nazi thing oh, i didn't know yeah but the guy assured me, he goes, no, no, it's something, it's just for fun. So I said, okay, what the fuck? So I'm I actually, did it and I sent him the pictures and he, he liked it. Yeah, I'm actually looking at the pictures right now. That's a, that's a, pretty, good, that's a pretty good kitchen bucket. But uh, I, want, I want to explain it a little more because this is actually a really cool thing. Um, and you didn't, I guess you didn't know about what, the, what they were actually I did doing. not. I, until tonight when you explained it to me, I didn't quite know what it was. Yeah, so he explained it to me. He said the idea was uh, to say that there were some hidden chapters and mentions of bucket on some of Hoppe's and Mises's books. Um, he doesn't remember exactly which at the moment, but uh, there weren't any. But the catch is to have Liberty people actually reading the books in order to understand the meme and also to troll a little. So so they came and asked you to do it. Of course, you probably have read all these books and and know that there's no mentions of buckets. So I, I don't recall any, any bucket mention in Hoppe's books. Um, <laughs> no. but, but it's pretty cool. That's a, that's actually a pretty good idea. You're like, you know, you tell people that there's something in these books. And now they're looking for it. They're reading the books. They're important books. They should be reading. You should all be reading Human Action and and the Democracy, the God that Felled, at least at the very least. And and if for me, it's everything Rothbard's ever written. I'm a huge, you know, I've been reading. Rothbard was what got me into this this movement. A Four New Liberty changed my entire life. Uh, it's it's kind of like a window you open and you just can't close it again. You know what I mean? It's like once you crawl through it. Yeah, I was re I was rereading for New Liberty recently, and I I I didn't enjoy it as much as I did early on. But but the Ethics of Liberty is my probably my favorite political book by him. All in, in combined with Power and Market, 
I think if someone wants a good introduction to Rothbard, what I really think is the best thing to read by him um, is uh, is a book that was called The Logic of Action One and Two when it came out, but it was it was republished under a different title for copyright reasons. I think it I think it's called Economic Controversies. Oh sure, sure. That's yeah. a really good sample of a lot of his economic analysis. Um, instead of reading Man, Economy, and State, which is sort of like a a systematic treatise. I, th- that's a really good one. And another good one on a more popular level is um, is one that Rockwell and Rothbard co-edited and co-wrote in the 80s. At this called the Free Market Reader. It was a selection of stuff they wrote in this newsletter called the Free Market, which used to be published by the Mises Institute. Um, that's that's really good too as an introduction. It's sort of like on the lines of Hazlitt's Economics One Lesson. Yeah. Uh, on the level. If you re- and if you really like essays. Uh, this one is is probably my favorite. Egalitarianism is a revolt against nature. It's a good one. It's a good. One. Yes, very good. Uh, I I have a lot more books than this, but they're at my mom's for some reason in Oregon. Send me my books, mom. Uh, uh, so so Stefan, we're getting to the end of this thing here. Of course, we're gonna go do an exclusive stream where we'll talk about uh, funny shit like your your uh, your scooter ride with Samaroff. But we're, what's next for you, man? What do you got coming up? Well. Um... I am thinking about putting together um, um, a selection of my own favorite anarchist essays, similar to what Michael Malice just did uh, in his anarchist handbook. Uh, because as soon as he published it, um, I thought of the ones I would have also included. Um, many of the ones he included, I would have included, um, and but some other ones. So I might put that together as a little book because that seemed to be uh, popular and people seem to like that. Um, and then I'm going to finally finish my my edited selection of my own stuff called law and libertarian world um and then i want to do a because my book on ip came out in two about 20 years ago and in the meantime i've written a lot of things elaborating on it and come up with different arguments because people keep coming up with different uh attempts to justify ip so i want to do a brand new book from scratch on ip um, which has all the other stuff, but some additional stuff. And I, I want, I'm going to call that copy this book. <laughs> and I've got s- some other book projects in mind too. Uh, but uh, so I'm basically mostly retired. I mean, I, I'm part-time. I'm only working about five or 10 hours a week on patent law stuff. So I have plenty of time now to devote towards just libertarian traveling and speaking and writing and have just having fun with it. So that's kind of where I am right now. Um, with my libertarian pursuits and projects. Nice, nice. Neocon Remover is going to be very happy. Uh, Mr. Burt Grimm is going to be very happy to see you put out a book called Copy This Book. He's probably going to do it, and then he's going to sell it, and he's, he's going to make tons of money, I'm sure. But uh, uh, he's, he's welcome to do it. I, <laughs> I, 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 would, I would be happy if he did that. <laughs> hey, just going to get you a little more attention, right? He can even put his name on it if he wants. I don't care. <laughs> you live in, live in the principles, man. Live in the principles. Stefan, I'm a huge fan. I really appreciate you, brother. Can you tell everywhere, uh, everyone where they can support you, how they can find you, where they can buy your books, all that great stuff? Yeah. Uh, I don't want support. I, I'm, I'm my own benefactor, and that's fine. Um, I, I, I just like – I don't have ads or anything. I just like to do my stuff for the movement. Um, but my, if you want to read my stuff, it's at stephankinsella.com, and my IP stuff is at c4sif.org, C, the number four. And I'm on, I'm at NS, my name is, my, name, my first name is Norman, so I'm NS Kinsella everywhere, like on Twitter and Facebook, NS Kinsella. 
Nice, nice. I do want you to support me, and I do want your super chats because I do have seven kids that I have to support, uh, and and a fiance who stays home with them. So uh, there's eight. That's 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 uh, that's eight dependents if you're counting. It's a lot. I do I do a lot. Uh, but Mr. Katsella, I appreciate you. Uh, please stick around, and we will have our exclusive stream here in about three or four minutes. Thank you so much. All right, guys. Ah oh, man, he's so knowledgeable. I can't keep up. I'm not very good with the lost the, the lost stuff, but he's uh he's amazing and uh, and I'm glad that he came on and explained everything for you guys. Uh, he's really awesome. Side, thank you so much for the uh, super chat. I will keep up the good fight. They'll never stop me. I'm uh I'm I'm the blue collar man on a mission. So uh, it's going to keep going forever. Guys, check out my sponsors at Lorenzotti.coffee for all your delicious Italian coffee needs delivered directly to your door. Bring the taste of Italy home. Use BTC at checkout for a 10% discount. Of course, the man, the myth, the legend, toplobster.com for all your graphic design needs where you can get this awesome dark uh, camo custom hoodie with the Break the Cycle Sunset logo on it. Use BTC at checkout or join Patreon, subscribe star. Uh, both of them are, uh, the websites slash break the cycle JS. You guys can get all kinds of really cool stuff there. Uh, you can also, um, uh, get into a discord chat where, uh, top lobster drops all of his, uh, brand new designs, uh, two weeks early and you get them at like a 30% discount. So we're talking really cheap $20 hoodies, uh, really, really cheap shirts for like 12 to $15. And he's got, the best designs, man. He just put out a really cool free Ross Ulbricht shirt that I hope everyone will buy. I think it's up on the website now. It's no longer in the in the deep discount mode. Um, and, of course, executive producer of the show, AnthemPlanning.com, for all your emergency and crisis planning needs. Check them out today. See what they can do for your business, personal life, or home. Uh, they are doing a job that the government sucks at for a much cheaper price and much more efficiently. Guys, coming up on the show, uh, let's see. What do, we got? what do we got going on here? Uh, tomorrow. My good friend, I love saying this every time, my good friend Tom Woods will be on the show to uh, defend his terrible views on Hawaiian shirts. It's going to be awesome. Uh, we'll ask how his podcast failed so miserably. Uh, of course, I don't mean any of that. It's going to be a good show. Tom's great. Hopefully, uh, I'm going to try to convince him to drink while he's on the show. Uh, also, on uh, Thursday... Thursday, uh, Brad Palumbo from Fee. That's going to be a cool show. We got a lot of things to, to catch up on. I'm going to see if we can get him to eat the uh, the dreaded ketchup banana. You guys might find out about that on the show. And of course, Friday, Mr. Austin Peterson will be on the show to talk about trolling people for liberty. Uh, we're kind of uh, kindred spirits when it comes to that. Um, guys, if you want these exclusive streams that I'm doing every single night uh, after the show. Check out the join link under any of my videos on my channel. It's going to be, uh, it, it just says join. If not, you can scroll all the way up to the top of the live chat here. I dropped the link there when I first started. For some reason, my social media buttons are not working on my uh, my stream deck tonight. I'm probably going to have to reset all that stuff. Um, but you can join that to watch them live right after these streams end. Or you can join the Patreon and subscribe star where you get some other cool swag and also get those uh, exclusive streams uploaded the next day after I do them. But guys, I will see you tomorrow uh, for a very exciting show with Mr. Tom Woods. Until then, don't forget to break the cycle. Due to legal reasons, I just have to explain. The lyrics of my last song may seem to contain a violent call to action in the verse of the frame. But I just landed in Minecraft. The helicopter part was in reference to G.
GTA 5 and the things you do So when he finds you commit, I am not an excuse Because I just landed in Minecraft Well, Chipper is my friend and he's constantly cold Accusations of incitement getting totally old Make your own choices, yeah, you have control Because I just landed in Minecraft Obviously I would never advocate force Unless there's due process and a trial, of course And if you're convicted, we will make you a corpse In Minecraft, just in Minecraft There are nothing I mean, you know it Don't try to get us, cause you're close to COVID Holy shit, I think 